We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Well, good morning. It's uh, Friday morning, the 27th of January. And if you've been following the show, you know I try to relate something from Grace's life to the program, if that's possible. Today, it's not possible because we're going to talk about something that um, is very remotely related to Grace. In fact, it's, the, it's behind what killed Grace. But Don, can you bring up the three pictures of Grace in the hospital? So this was this is a picture of Grace and I. I was in the ambulance with her when we went from urgent care to the emergency room. Uh, you can see she's giving me the thumbs up. Uh, this was uh, when she was on the BiPAP mask on October, um, I think it was October 11th. Uh, Grace was murdered on the 13th of October. You can see uh, her little fingernails. I, I always painted her fingernails, so it was kind of a special time with her and I. Uh, you can bring up the third one then, Don. Oh, this was <laughs> this was cute. This was um, the evening of of October eighth. So the next morning on October 9th, Grace woke up, and you know you can see she's got the BiPAP mask on, and she is trying to tell me through the BiPAP mask that she's hungry. Yeah. <laughs> And I couldn't, I couldn't understand her. So she starts signing. And, you know, so then I ultimately just removed the mask and she told me. Another cute time in the hospital was the first night on October 7th. Um, you know, the, the nursing staff kind of ratcheted up this oxygen to an emergency level. Grace was just on a regular uh, cannula, but then they ratchet this thing up and create a fear. And, you know, Grace really did not like this the whole high flow cannula thing, which I understand it was shooting air up her nose at 40 miles an hour. And you know, it took about uh, maybe an hour or so to get her situated with a BiPAP. And uh, she was kind of uh, feisty during that time. And so we got done and uh, it was probably 1130 at night. This is her first night. And she gives me a big hug and said, I'm sorry, dad. Uh, she just was, uh, she was, she was quite a gift. Um, so hospital murders, are only a piece of the worldwide Holocaust happening today. So that's your first clue as to who my guest is today. And I'm going to give you another clue who that guest is right now. So Don, can you play the whiteboard clip? Do you think complying with government demands will set you free? They told you all you needed to do was wear a mask, social distance, and get an experimental, rushed COVID vaccine with never-before-used mRNA technology, and liberty would be attained. They told you that it was a pandemic of the unvaccinated, but who is really dying and why? While the messages of social isolation, inhibiting your own breathing by masks, and injecting unknown substances into your body was for the greater good, why is it that those who complied are the ones dying? The freedom you're desperately seeking by complying with government edicts will lead to the ultimate control over every facet of your life. Just as in Nazi Germany in the 1930s, prior to the Holocaust, when Jewish leaders encouraged the Jewish population to obey Nazi orders for their own safety, your compliance will lead to your demise. 
the first victims under the Nazi regime were disabled children under three years old who were rounded up by nurses professing better care in hospitals who then murdered them. Eugenics was implemented under the T4 program which systematically killed the useless eaters through the hands of medical personnel. Currently, the disabled are dying in hospitals at an 11 times greater rate than able-bodied people since COVID began. Grace Shara, who was a 19-year-old with Down syndrome, was killed in 2021 by medical professionals who viewed her life as useless. We are witnessing genocide. Since the jabs were released, deaths have risen above normal levels by as much as 45%. Death benefits were up to $1 billion more in 2021 after the jabs than they were in 2020 when they told us COVID was to blame for all the deaths. You must stop complying. One Holocaust was enough. So, you know, when a parent loses somebody as special as Grace, it motivates them to ask a lot of questions and do things that you'd never do. And if you haven't guessed it yet, my guest is Vera Sheriff. And Don, can you bring Vera in? Vera, welcome, Vera. Good to see you. Thank you very much for inviting me. <clears throat> You're welcome. So Vera and I met on July 8th, and she has really helped me frame what my responsibility is here. And, and she has uh, um, she's provided uh, an unbelievable amount of knowledge to me. And I want to share some of that today by asking her some, some questions. So if you're not aware, uh, today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. So it's, it's even a double honor to have Vera here. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is history repeating itself. Uh, Grace died because history repeated itself. And we're in the midst of a worldwide Holocaust. And as Vera knows better than anybody, education produces different actions, including resistance to tyranny. And I hope today we'll start an insatiable desire to not be in the dark any longer. Vera is a public advocate for human rights and the founder and president of the Alliance for Human Research Protection as an information resource and public interest watchdog organization whose goal is to unlock the walls of secrecy in biomedicine research and bring accountability to that endeavor. She has so many accolades, we could spend the whole time on that, but the best accolade of all is she's become my friend. So I wanna introduce what we're gonna talk about today by um, zeroing in on a specific, uh, two words. So Don, can you play the Bill Gates clip? And then Vera, we're going to talk about the final solution. Go ahead, Don. You released a memo today uh, that says global innovation is the key to limiting the damage. What, what innovation are you talking about? What's the number one priority? What do we have to innovate first? Well, in the near term, it's the scaling up of testing and prioritizing who gets testing and getting the quick results. In the midterm, it's these treatments uh, that can cut the death rate down uh, potentially uh, dramatically. And then the final solution, uh, which is a year to two years off, is the vaccine. So we've got to mm -hmm. go full speed ahead on all three fronts. So, Vera, when Bill Gates said final solution, that obviously triggered something with you. And if you could explain that, and then I'd really like you to frame this in the in the term with the term eugenics so could you do that sure 
first of all, it, it really sent chills down my spine. And as it happens, January is the month uh, in which 81 years ago, the One Sea Conference took place in Berlin. This was when the top 15 Nazi officials met and sealed the fate of European Jewry by laying the plans for the final solution, which was the extermination of the entire Jewish population of Europe and North Africa. Uh, they didn't quite succeed, but hey, six million out of 11 million European Jews is quite a bit. So, yeah, the final solution is what Bill Gates equated the uh, vaccine with. And I think we should take it very seriously and literally serious. Because, in other words, he, without meaning to, um, alluded to the fact that the vaccine may be a weapon, final solution. Final, he knows what final solution is. And the reporter who questioned him actually alerted him and said, you know, he was horrified that he did that. And what did Bill Gates do? He laughed in his sheepish laugh. So, and this is the man who is responsible for much of the vaccine uh, policies globally. That's right. So uh, I think one of the major obstacles to people opening their eyes to what's happening in front of them is really that most people cannot imagine that there is a cabal, a global oligarchs who are evil, absolute evil. Uh, absolute evil was not uh, an exception that, you know, that the German people fell under. It can happen everywhere. Now, one of the uh, parallels, really, and before COVID, I used to say that the Holocaust was unique from all other genocides. The difference was the weaponization of medicine. The degradation of medicine from a healing profession into a killing, a murderous profession. And the way in which the elderly and the disabled have been targeted during the COVID pandemic, because it is by now pretty much everyone understands that this was a laboratory created virus. This is nothing from nature. Um, this provided the opportunity for implementing policies, public policies that are driven by eugenics. The real virus is eugenics. It's a virus that never, never left public health field. In particular, public health officials uh, are imbued with eugenics, which means that they regard some 
people as valuable and others as not valuable. Some, during the pandemic, we, we heard a lot about the essential people and the unessential. Uh, those are telltale signs. Eugenics is very much what is driving the global uh, road along the backward slippery slope. Well, I think that's, the, that's right. And, you know, the, the useless eaters, that was the term in World War II, um, you just said about essential people, uh, non-essential. Mm-hmm. In World War II, as you know, the, the population was lied to saying we need the beds for the wounded. So we see that same thing being repeated repeated here. In fact, I just want to lay the groundwork. I mean, you're familiar with Ezekiel Emanuel. He's he's the prime architect of Obamacare. So Obamacare was passed in 2010, but go all the way back to 1996. He stated, this is Ezekiel Emanuel's quote, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should mm-hmm. not be guaranteed. So he was saying in that statement, the same thing, these beds you know, remember with at the beginning of COVID, they told us the hospitals are going to be overrun. And so these beds have to be freed up for the people who are participating citizens. We've got to get rid of the people who can't be participating citizens. So I see that as an exact parallel. I, you know, of course, not your comment. I want to stress, though, something else, which is that these individuals are really, they are articulating what the larger profession, the medical and scientific community accept. That article, what Ezekiel Emanuel wrote, was published in the foremost medical journal in the world, The Lancet. That tells you that this was absolutely accepted by the medical establishment. This is very important because the leadership can only lead if the rest, you know, of the of those involved follow, you know, accept. The, the, this is a, again, this is eugenics dressed up in, you know, a slightly different format, but that it's still, this is exactly what it is. Some people are worth treating and others are not. And once you do that, once you relegate some people as not worth of treatment, you are preparing the ground for a genocide. There's no other way to explain it. There's no finessing it, although that's, it is very much finessed in the literature, you know, and in the protocols that are uh, issued to hospitals. Uh but when you strip it down to the essential, then you realize this, these protocols provide a license for murder. Well, that's, that's right. Medical and you, like you said, Ezekiel Emanuel was really speaking for the entire world. You know, we, we as a United States, we've been filled so much propaganda and, you know, before, before I opened up my eyes, I, I had thought 
you know, World War II was only about the Nazis, but you know, it isn't. And it, it, you know, this worldwide Holocaust today is obviously worldwide, but I want you to fill in some gaps for people about what we've been programmed to believe regarding World War II only being about the Nazis. And specifically the two things for sure I would like you to comment on is how the United States was involved with sterilization and then afterward Operation Paperclip. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the sterilization program really did uh, begin in the United States. Uh, eugenics was formulated by the uh, elite in the UK. It, it's an extension and, and a kind of apologia for the um, domination, you know. A white man's burden was one of the terms they used. Uh, it, it gave a theoretic uh, basis for uh, the expansion of the British Empire to all the different countries that they established rule over. Okay, and but the sterilization per se uh, was first implemented really in the United States and Hitler uh, oh he he praised the United States eugenicist and adopted their platform and then expanded it to much uh, larger uh, swath of the population uh, eugenics as I said, it regards some people as worthy and others as unworthy. And those who are unworthy, they become, you can treat them as less than animals. Which is and why of they course, would sterilize. They, you, you have, you have that. that. I mean, that's what the Nazis are about. And some of the experiments that have been conducted financed by the public health authorities absolutely uh, is parallel to Nazi experiments. I first I first uh, was confronted with this by an experiment on 28 veterans in the Bronx VA who were deliberately uh, given a drug that threw them into psychotic relapse. And the purpose of the experiment was to see how long it would take these veterans to have a psychotic relapse. When I read that article, I said, oh my God, that's Nazi medicine. And my understanding of the article was, validated by two psychiatrists who I asked, am I reading this right? Because I didn't trust my own, my own reading of it. I couldn't believe it. This was in the 1990s. That, that's really what got you so, as an advocate, right? That's as far as, yeah, as far as experiments. Now, uh, you ask about paperclip. This is very important. Um, after the Nuremberg trials, more than 1,600 Nazi 
scientists, doctors, and engineers were smuggled into the United States against the explicit orders of President Truman by what became the CIA. They were called OSS at that time. They were smuggled into the United States and scattered throughout the academic institutions, scientific institutions, military institutions. And essentially continued to carry out the kind of research that they had done under the Nazis. And they influenced, they educated a generation of American doctors and scientists. And so that psychiatric experiment with L-DOPA is an example of that. Nazi, the Nazi mentality of regarding some human beings as expendable seeped in to the highest academic and government institutions. What people find hard to believe is that before the Nazis, Germany was the premier country in the world, the most advanced intellectually, scientifically, in every which way, Germany led the world. Uh, doctors, after they were trained in medical schools here, went to Germany for postdoctoral uh, learning because Germany was the place, was the uh, at the at the apex of Western civilization. So the what one needs to consider is how is it that it was precisely the Germans who led the way to Nazi horrors, to Nazi atrocities? You mean how the is German, it that the, the people medical, that the medical profession in Germany? There were, right. there were, there's a new book out now, and you know. Every time there's a new book, it's because some some documents are uncovered. Of you know, all along, and now the the estimate is that one million one million Germans were involved in the Holocaust. One million. That's a lot of people. Now many of them. Uh, were involved, let's say, not directly, but they knew what was going on. So, for example, there were so there were very many um, administrative people who had the records, who made the count, who uh, disseminated the the orders of what kind of weapons to use now, what kind of um, lethal methods to adopt in which camp. Uh, how many uh, how many slave laborers were to be eliminated because they were no longer able to work 
all those sort of things. There were very many people involved. It was not just a handful of, you know, monsters. Ordinary people going home at night um, were privy to what was going on. They just looked the other way, pretended that, you know, that they had nothing to do with it. How did they get the medical people to be involved? The medical people <laughs> volunteered. They were very happy. First of all, at the universities, they were very happy. The first thing they did was to expel all Jewish professors and doctors. And so they had a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, positions to fill and good Nazis would get those positions. The fact of the matter is that the uh, German medical association, the equivalent American, you know, medical association, they had their own arts. They were rabid anti-Semites. They were rabid. I mean, every journal, actually there was a, a doctor um, in New Jersey uh, who wrote about that. He was German origin. And he wrote about the different, like every week they would have articles that would uh, laud the Nazi policies. Doctors wrote up some of the protocols. Doctors, at every place of selection, it was doctors in white coats who made the selections. Who shall live and who shall die? What child would be starved to death so that they could write up a report about how long it took a child to survive without food, without nourishment? And graduate students, medical students, would be privy to this. They would come to some of the, those hospitals where this was conducted and observe and write up the notes. There were articles written in the journals. Nobody objected. Nobody objected. And, of course, there was... Uh, ironclad censorship, which we have copied very, <laughs> very massively. And now there's more to censor because of the internet. They didn't have the internet, but uh, all they had was radio and, and newspapers and, and the journals, of course. But uh, the people listened, you know, to constant propaganda over the radio. And what we have had is incessant fear-mongering propaganda over the television and internet. How did they get the medical professionals in the United States to do what they've been doing and are still doing? They didn't have to coerce too many of them. I mean, now there are the, those who would not go along, you know, have been uh, deplatformed and, and many 
uh, have been de-licensed. Um, but really, they didn't have the threat of a concentration camp or, you know, being shot uh, at dawn. Uh, the I believe that one of the facets of education, and in particular the medical field, is there is this deference to authority. It's very much like a pyramid. You do not contradict the chairman of your department. Okay? You do not contradict the head of the NIH or, you know, the National Institute of Health or, or the CDC. That's part of it. You see, they have become yes-sayers. They've become complicit uh, yes-sayers to anything that government dictates uh, require. Without them, they couldn't do it. Without the doctors, you could not have had the, you know, the murderous edicts during COVID. It's doctors and nurses who carry out whatever came down from government and from the CDC. The CDC is what every government official cites, you know. Oh, CDC says, therefore, this is is the rule today. That's not democracy, and that's not real medicine, and that's not real science. Science and dictatorship are antithesis of each other. You cannot have real science when it's dictated from above because science keeps moving, it keeps changing. It's all about a given science, uh, given uh, acceptance of this or that theory until another one over takes it, because more information uh, requires changing the old to the new. Science is not like religion, and they have tried to cloak it as if it was a religion. No, science is not a religion. Science is about constant change and flux according to evidence that had not been Known before. Yeah, oh, that's that's uh, right. You you know you mentioned about the propaganda influence here, which you know of course we know there's an obscene amount of propaganda relative to the pandemic, but the propaganda actually started way before that. I mean the the medical professionals oh, yeah. are trained with propaganda. Uh, we've been trained to trust the white coat, and then something you and I talked about last week on the phone. I want to just hit on here because I think it's it's really important because you you are um, of the mindset that science isn't is an evolving uh, tool to get closer and closer to the truth. That is not I of course agree with that, but the young 
people through the public fool system, the cabal has taken away thinking. And so by taking away right. thinking, they have put people literally in chains. And I, I really want your perspective of that because I think it's, it's, it's so important as to how they were able to pull this off. Um, Dave prepared for this for many decades. And education is, no longer really exists in the public school system. It is indoctrination. And it's no different from what used to be called, you know, the Mao, Mao Zedong's blue, blue Book, and then it was the Red Book, or maybe it was the other way around. But in other words, those books were like the Bible, and, and that's it. This is what you must think, and you may not question. And that's what essentially has happened, but in a more subtle way uh, with the public school system. Uh, children and adults in universities are not encouraged to think critically by holding on to their conclusions about it, almost everything, really. They're encouraged to rely on and to trust authority. The experts who know more than you is who you must listen to. That is the way you get people to march in lockstep. Nobody well, dares to go out of the you know, of this circle. This is circular reasoning, essentially. I, it I is agree. because Fauci says so. Fauci said out loud, anyone who criticizes me criticizes the science. So he is the god of science. Where does he get that? Well, in Yiddish, you would call that chutzpah. In other words, where does he get the goal to have us regard him as the final authority, the science. There's no the science. There's no such thing as the science. Science fluctuates. Science is constantly moving and changing, sometimes back and forth. Look, one of the things about the truth is that the real antidotes to the COVID virus were old, tried, and known to be safe. They have decades of record of safety, like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Those turned out to be the best drugs to take, not remdesivir, the new one, you know, out of the lab. No. That is an example of, yeah, the old turned out to be life-saving, and so they forbade doctors from using it. Why did they forbid? Sh shouldn't we ask, why would you forbid doctors from using the medicines that in their judgment were life-saving? Well, that's of course right on, and if you're a critical thinker, that question would pop in your head, but if you've been trained to not critically think, it doesn't even cross your mind, and I want to just give it you doesn't close. <laughs> a, a very pointed example that is happening. Uh, it's been happening for decades, but this is an example of how we got in trouble on the slippery slope with the public pool system. 
So if a teacher gives an assignment, in, in the old days, the student was responsible for completing that assignment on time and correctly. Now the student is reminded multiple times of the assignment. And then if they don't hand it in on time, they're given a do-over. So if you process that, that seems innocent enough at first to, to remind, but why do we need to remind somebody? And from a practical application of that, when, when I get these young people in my business working for me, all they want is a set of instructions so that they can do the work. They don't want to come up with the ideas behind the work or making the work bigger, better, faster, stronger. None of that, because they're just used to the teacher spoon feeding them everything. So now they become an employee and they want the employer to spoon feed them. And they become participating mm -hmm. in our government and the government spoon feeds them. So Fauci is just like the teacher. No, 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 this is taken, but um, you have to understand that the elite uh, have the different criteria for themselves as far as education, okay? They don't fall into that because the elite understands that this is, it's like opiate of the people is the, the way the communists would, would put it, but essentially... By parroting, you know, what it's taught rather than thinking their own, coming to their own conclusions and sticking to their own conclusions. That is not what is encouraged. It's discouraged. Right. But for themselves, they do want uh, and encourage their own children. Uh, for example... I don't know if you've read, but many of these, they forbid their children to use the cell phone for more than, you know, an hour a day or something. They understand that all that being glued to this thing uh, prevents critical thinking. Yeah. That's, uh, and well, let's just go on that, that tangent a little further because... Uh, last time you and I talked, we also talked about Klaus Schwab saying, you will own nothing and like it. And so... And be happy, and be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the ways that they had talked about before, Schwab, about how to keep the peasants happy was with entertainment and drugs. That's all written, you know, by philosophers of, you know, the eugenics mindset. This is all very planned. This is not, this, is, this isn't happening just all by itself. It's very much going according to a script, according to a protocol. They have tested out, they've used psychologists to test out a lot of these methods. What would make, how people will behave in given situations? What what it takes to get people to obey without question. All those sort of things have been worked out and tested. And then they just apply them. Now, we haven't certainly been told about that. We have, our permission wasn't asked. Correct. 
So that's how you derail democracy. I would like to um, talk about the Nuremberg Code for a little bit. And so the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code is in August. I'm going to do have Don just play the short clip because Vera was, was in Germany to deliver the keynote speech. We're just going to watch the first couple minutes of that speech. And then I, I want to ask you some questions about the Nuremberg Code, Vera. Go ahead, Don. I came to Nuremberg to provide historical context to the current global threat confronting our civilization. These past two years and a half have been especially stressful as painful memories were rekindled. In 1941, I was three and a half years old. My family was forced from our home in Romania to Ukraine we were herded into a concentration camp, essentially left to starve. But death was everywhere. Death was the cloud above us. My father died at the camp of typhus, an infectious disease that was rampant in all the concentration camps and ghettos for lack of any sanitary conditions. In 1944, as the final solution was being aggressively implemented, Romania dislodged from its alliance with Nazi Germany, and the government allowed several hundred orphan Jewish children to return to Romania if they had a relative there. Although I was not an orphan, my mother lied to save my life. I boarded a cattle car train, the very same train that continued to bring Jews to the death camps. So obviously everybody can see a couple of things. One is it's a miracle that Vera is here with, with us. Um, and it's uh, it's quite a miracle when you hear the whole story. The second thing is uh, she doesn't look nearly old enough to be a Holocaust survivor. And then third, of course, is you see what she has there. She's she's got a tablet, so she's she's technologically ahead of of me because I don't have a tablet yet. But the serious <laughs> piece, I, I do want to ask you. Uh, because I, I would expect that most people don't even understand the Nuremberg Code, but more importantly, if they did, explain how the Nuremberg Code could have stopped what we're seeing today. The Nuremberg Code, you see, is the one most important uh, document that came out of that horror uh, era. It was part of the verdict in the Nazi doctor's trial. And the trial, we have to remember, was held by American jurists, American military, in American military tribunal, with uh, the advice of medical, American medical people. 
Now, what after hearing the about the medical atrocities in open court, the jurors decided that something has to be done to prevent medical atrocities from ever happening again, never again. So they formulated a set of 10 ethical principles. And these principles were internationally adopted. They're part of the International Criminal Code. And the first and foremost principle is that you cannot use a human being as a subject of research without their uncoerced, voluntary, informed consent, which is freely given without any coercion. And the code stipulates in detail, in great detail, all the information that must be disclosed to each person before they're asked for their voluntary consent. Uh, the Nuremberg Code hold, it held that no matter what a national policy is, these ethical standards stand first. They are above national uh, rules. This is very uh, unusual and because they wanted to ensure that every human being on the planet has the right to voluntary informed consent. Now, the medical establishment, of course, well, first of all, the American medical establishment uh, thought that the Nuremberg Code didn't apply to them, only to those Nazi monsters. No, it's not. The jurists were very, very specific that this is universal, that the code applies no matter what the national policies are, this is above that. Now, what's interesting is that the Nuremberg Code, when it was used in American courts, it was, it stood, it stood its ground. In fact, uh, Pfizer was deemed guilty based on Nuremberg Code infringements in a federal court in New York. Uh, what's also overlooked is that the Nuremberg Code is cited as um, sta having standing in the Federal Code of Regulations uh, the particularly the 45 CFR 46, which deals with research involving human beings. And the code is cited that 
informed consent, informed voluntary consent has to be abided by. But you see, the federal regulations, as all regulations and as laws, local laws are, they are open to interpretation and to, oh, um, a bit of amelioration. They, they get changed as needed. The reason the governments and medical establishment hates the Nuremberg Code, you know, doesn't want to be told that they're violating the code is because uh, it's like the Ten Commandments. You can't change a word you cannot change a word. And other regulations and the Declaration of Helsinki, which is another uh, international, that changes every few years. Uh, that's a huge difference. The Nuremberg Code, we have actually uh, a website devoted just Nuremberg75.com. You can download the Nuremberg Code for free. It's in 11 languages, whatever you want. The Nuremberg Code can be used by any citizen as a defense weapon against government or medical overreach in the area of medicine. You have a right. I mean, you know, bodily integrity is also embedded in our uh, constitutional rights, right. but this is this affirms it so many years later, and as I said, it was never challenged. Okay, the fact that it was never challenged should tell us something. So the what they're doing is going around it, but if lawyers were would use it more often, it would have more standing because. Our legal system goes by precedence, and if you have a whole lot of precedence, then you're strengthening the protection of every citizen. And this, by the way, one of the most important features of the Nuremberg Code is that it absolutely rejects eugenics. It rejects the idea that public health comes above individual rights. No. The Nuremberg Code absolutely solidifies the fact that every human being has right and that cannot be you know uh either washed away or weakened well, i think it's i so, think it's right on vera i mean when i look at this and i you know now that i've read it and understand it you know, i didn't know before Grace died. You know, of course, I knew about the Nuremberg Code, but I didn't understand the context of what it what it means. And when I look at this now, you know, I, it's in the context of Hosea uh, four six. God says, "My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." So, if everybody would have known about the Nuremberg Code and it had been used, um, it would have. Oh yeah. If they, I think that people should take it and show it any time a doctor or someone tries to coerce them into taking something or other, whether it's an, a, 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 an intervention, whether it's a drug, a vaccine, or, or surgery, they should, show, you know, should 
insist on getting all the information that they're entitled to. People have been injected with an experimental injectable. It's not really a vaccine because it doesn't protect you and doesn't prevent infection without knowing what's in the vials, what's in the... It's the companies are protected by the government from disclosing exactly what the contents are. That should have raised tremendous red flag to say, wait a minute, you want to inject me with stuff that I don't know what's in it? I don't want that. The well, Nuremberg I, Code would help you to stand your ground. Absolutely. I mean, the package insert is even blank. As I've drilled this down, mm -hmm. further, I studied the Brooke Jackson case. And in the Brooke Jackson case, she was a former Pfizer employee. She brought a false claims act against Pfizer. Their defense was we, we weren't even contracted to produce a vaccine. We were contracted to produce a prototype. And here's our contract with the Department of Defense. And now the U.S. government three months ago came in behind Pfizer in a related motion to dismiss, acknowledging the fact that Pfizer does have a contract with the Department of Defense that doesn't even require a vaccine. So, I mean, so of course there's no package insert because it is not even a vaccine. I mean, this is, it's beyond. Um, no, it's a secret. It, they, they, look, when they have, you know, essentially when they're putting things into the, the vials that are not in, you know, not to protect your health, but rather to take you down. I mean, this is this is a whole different story. So they're not; they don't want to divulge, and the government is helping them to do that by making it military secret. By the way, why 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 are these injections under the military? Why did Trump do that in the first place? Why should it be under military, you know, secret? This is this wasn't supposed to be a weapon. So if it's not a weapon, why is it under military secret? Oh, I I agree. We'll we'll leave that as rhetorical. But I have the same question. You know, we have uh, a whole segment of the population that looks looks to Trump as a savior, but they're not looking. They're not drilling things down and seeing what was what was behind all of this. Um, mm -hmm. Don, I want you to just bring bring up the website comparison. So on Grace's website, we have a number of of comparisons from the Nazi Holocaust to the Holocaust today. And you know, I'd encourage you to study this. Uh, we went through it in in June and put this together so you can see literally line by line all the different. There's about fifty different comparisons. Uh, Vera, I want to close with with introducing your your um, documentary coming up. And, and so it, to do that, what I wanna do is have, first I'm gonna have Don play the trailer for the documentary and then, then have you just give the, give the listeners um, a little bit about it. And then I wanna close with a comment that, that I have regarding investing time okay. with your family to watch it. So Don, could you play that? Okay. So 
Those who are responsible for the pandemic have used two of the weapons that the Nazis used, which was fear and propaganda. Propaganda feeds the fear, foments it, hardens it. At that time, the fear was against Jews who were accused of being spreaders of infectious disease. The thing that I realized and was horrified by was that medicine under the Nazis had been totally taken over by government. And so I realized that panic was being fomented so that people would lose confidence in their ability to discern things. And so the best way is listen to public health officials, the experts. The thing that'll get us back to the world that we had before coronavirus is the vaccine and getting that out to all 7 billion people. Bill Gates assumes the mantle of one who has authority in the medical public health field. There has never been a public health. The only health that ever existed is the individual's health. Every single medical procedure or medical practice needs to be considered with regards to how does it affect this individual patient? Is it necessary? Why did all of you cooperate? And here's the interesting answer. The Nazis never presented themselves as negative, destructive people. They presented themselves as party who is trying actually to make things better. And that's what they taught people. When you were taken to a ghetto, it was for your own protection. When you were taken to a camp, you were told we have work for you there and food and shelter. We want to help you. My grandfather, who was in the French army, he got into camps and he always feared after that normal doctors. He saw them doing all kinds of experiments on people, entering the barracks with huge syringes and things like that. There were people sent in Australia to, to camps. They didn't kill them there. But the, the process that we are going through is part of what they were doing to them. Most people just think, well, we need to do what the government says and they want what is good for us. And they trust them and they think that's the way it is. It's so scary that you can understand what happened there that it happens again. It's a deja vu, you know, I feel exactly. I mean, people tell us what to do now. People are telling us how to do how to go, what to shop. We went like sheep in the Second World War. It's happening now all over the world with this COVID. I'm against people who are telling me what to do with my body because it's, it's a lie, it's a big lie. When people are so blind, I can't stand it. I have to, I have to try to convince them to, to, to open their eyes, to open their ears, not to go like sheep. It's a race between enslavement and expansion of global human consciousness. Because there are many, 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 many more of us. I'm advocating for nonviolent civil disobedience, an absolute rejection of all these mandates. Resist.
Wow, I get goosebumps watching that. It's fantastic. Vera, what are you hoping to get out of this documentary and how is it different from other Holocaust documentaries? Well, we have 32 participants in this series. And all I asked them to do was to tell their stories, to share their opinions, observations. And they were anxious to do so because, as you heard some of them, they recognize, they recognize the signals, they recognize the parallels, and they want to help to awaken people. That's what I want, uh, because it is people's obedience that gives the power to the cabal. Those who order us around have no power if we simply say no. And it takes each one of us to get up and just assert our rights as human beings. The suspension of freedom, the, the censorship, and the medical dictates, these are all violations of human rights, and they are absolutely reminiscent of how the Nazis held on to power and how they were able to carry out, you know, the, the genocide with people simply silent on the side, you know, those who were not in the camps, silent. That's what enabled the Nazis, it gave them the green light. Absolutely. Obedience serves the tyrant. Obedience does not, does not protect you. Yeah, that's, that's right. We are never. And this is really, uh, it's, uh, you know, when people abdicate their responsibility as adults to make choices, to make their own choice about their lives. That abdication is an invitation to tyrants. And they don't stop. Now, the objective now is, it's just staggering. The objective is to depopulate most of the world's population. You're very well said, Vera. I mean, we're never called to obey tyranny, and unfortunately, that's what happened. I mean, you when one of the many conversations we've had, you you said it very well, saying if you know when they first mandated masks, if nobody wore a mask, it would be over. And of course, that's right on. That's right. Don, can you bring up the poster? That's right. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Vera. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What what did you, the full swing? Well, I, I, I want, you can comment on that. I just wanted to comment about the, the film yet, but go ahead with, with the uh, mask. The film, look, the film, uh, the film sheds light on some things that people know about, but mostly on things that people don't know about because they've been whitewashed and covered up. 
no documentary about the Holocaust deals with the corporate and family dynasties that facilitated, that bankrolled uh, the Holocaust, bankrolled Hitler, and provided both the ammunition that he used, including the tanks and, and the airplanes and, and just all the industrial things that he needed. He didn't have, he had nothing. They essentially selected Hitler because he was a psychopath who could be controlled by them because they were providing what he sought. They, Germany didn't have it. One of the things about Germany was that they really didn't have the uh, war machinery. And most of it came from United States corporations. And we deal with the Ford Corporation, the Carnegie's, the, the Rockefellers, the uh, Harriman's, the Bushes. These were major, major players in the Holocaust who profiteered from the slave labor camps. That's I'm, a fact. So Those are facts that have been buried and that uh, need to be brought into the light of day so that people can understand what is happening now is an extension of the same group, actually. Same families are still behind the scenes controlling this. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this out. I, I want to frame it uh, maybe a little bit different in that, you know, this lady, this wonderful lady who I'm talking with today, you know, we've become friends. She has dedicated the last 30 years of her life to help humanity. The last year has been invested in this documentary. It's going to be released on Monday in five parts. So Monday will be part one, Tuesday, part two through the week. I, I beg every person listening to invest the five hours with your family. Uh, it'll be fantastic family time to help educate you uh, so that you are not destroyed for lack of knowledge. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm humbled to have Vera on today and I just beg you to please heed the warning that she is sounding. Uh, Vera, the last word goes to you. So whatever you wanna say, go ahead. Resist, that is your power, that is your right and it's the way to overcome them. They cannot control humanity if people say no. Just say no more. No more. We need to get the tyrants out of their positions of power. We need to take back our world. It is our God-given right. Absolutely. Thank you very much for being here today, Vera. I, I sure I sure appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I am, you know, so glad that we have come together. Uh, I think that, you know, by focusing on your daughter, the individual human being is, you know, that's what it's about. Each human being is precious. And unless we truly believe that, tyrants 
such as the ones that are now trying to move us into a, you know, a global Holocaust, uh, can't thrive. As long as we keep in mind that each human being matters, each human being has rights, they can't, they cannot accomplish what they want. It's only if people obey and are willing to shun this group or that group, uh, only then do they win. And we can't let them win. God bless you, Vera. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.